0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone.
0: Welcome again to AOA. So glad you've joined us and let us, letting us be part of your day. Always appreciate that. We have plenty to talk about today for sure. We're going to talk about a deal on dairy between the U.S. and the EU. We'll get the latest on that from the National Milk Producers Federation. We're going to talk markets with Todd Holtman with DTN and talk infrastructure and biofuels with Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association all coming up on today's program. But we're going to start things off looking at our red meat exports. First half of the year, a very strong pace continues, and here to talk about it is Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, thanks for joining us. We've been talking about these numbers month after month. They continue to be good.
2: Yeah, good morning, Mike. Yes, most definitely the momentum continues, albeit... June was probably a little bit under where we were at in April and May. But uh, nevertheless, uh, the first six months are, are showing very, very good signs. Um, you know, up about 18% on beef and, and up a couple of percent on pork, which are both uh, record paces for the year. And uh, I think the broad-based uh, demand across many markets is really the story.
0: Well, let's take a look. We'll start on the beef side first of all. Where are our beef exports strongest? Yeah, I think
2: um, I think you're looking at probably uh, two different regions of the world. Number one, Asia, uh, Korea, Japan, two of our strongholds, continue to be very, very strong on beef, and China. Of course, we've been talking about China for the last several months. Continues to see, uh, you know, from a very low base, but huge growth, uh, you know, year on year. Um, so, so that's going well, and, and probably the the most welcome. Uh, I don't know if it's a surprise, but welcome news is that we're really starting to see a rebound in Latin America, uh, Mexico, Central America, South America. you are starting to see food service rebound, COVID-19 uh, lockdowns are being relaxed, and uh, it's not back to normal yet, but it's on its way. So that's good news for the beef industry.
0: Well, let's talk about COVID. Stop here for a moment before we get to pork. How concerned are you about the the resurgence of, uh, of COVID, the new variants, and uh, in some countries going to lockdowns and things like that? Yeah, um,
2: well, we're very concerned, uh, but we've been dealing with it all along. While, while the U.S. the last several months, uh, things were looking quite a bit better, uh, you know, Japan and Korea, for example, two of our largest markets we just talked about, uh, have been in and out of lockdowns now. Uh, they're in their fifth wave, and uh, the country of Japan just put a new emergency lockdown, extended it to the end of September. So, uh, but despite that, I mean, it's a concern because obviously food service is being impacted, but the retail and online business is booming so much that. Uh, in some ways, it's overshadowing the, the, the downtrends in food service, and, and thus our numbers are up really, really well. So, uh, yeah, there's a concern there, because obviously I just assume have COVID in the rearview mirror in all countries, and I think that we'd really see some uh, some growth then. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's here to stay for a while anyway.
0: So when we look at the pork exports, I guess China, Hong Kong, that's the number one destination?
2: Uh, that's correct, and uh, but as we've been talking, China and Hong Kong, as we expected, are down. I mean, we're down about, uh, oh, about 20%, uh, which is about what we were estimating uh, year to date, keeping in mind that last year was just an all-time record uh, because of ASF in China. So even though we're down 20%, we're still on pace for the second largest year ever for pork exports to China. But I think the real story on the pork side is that uh, – you know we're up a, a percent or two year to date, and that's a result of a lot of other countries stepping up. I mean, uh, you can go right on down the list. You've got Mexico, Central America, South America, Japan, Korea. So really, it's a it's that's the good news story. Is that we're, we'll take the business into China? That's always great. But the fact that we're seeing broad based growth around many many markets is a positive.
0: You touched on this. I want to kind of get a little more detail on it. Uh, we know in this country, people's buying uh, patterns have changed more online and more, you know, we see the food delivery systems at home and things like that. Are we seeing those same kind of trends among consumers in other countries?
2: Yes, Mike, without a doubt. Uh, you know, some parts of the world are further along than others, but uh, you look at a place like Korea, this this online digital platform business, that was a, a, a very strong trend prior to COVID. Uh, and now it's just uh, supercharged with, with COVID. I mean, every week we read about in in Korea about some new platform coming out. There, there's a platform out now that, that can take your food products and deliver anywhere in the city of Seoul within 30 minutes, which is unbelievable. you Anyone that's been to Seoul and seen the traffic there, you can't go around the block in 30 minutes in a lot of cases. So um, it's really amazing uh, uh, what, what what's happening in this whole digital space, so without a doubt. And then there's other parts of the world, like Latin America, that were really lagging in the online business uh, prior to COVID, and now they've been jump-started from, albeit a much lower base, but we're starting to see uh, a lot of platforms in, in regions that have never seen platforms for online business to the extent that we have now. So, yeah, it's a, it's a much different environment. But the good news in all of this is people are still consuming U.S. beef and pork uh, outside the U.S. Uh, borders.
0: So a good first half of the year for meat exports. What are you projecting for the second half of the year?
2: I think we're going to continue on the beef side. We're going to continue to see growth. Um, you know, it might be maybe not quite as brisk a pace, but uh, we're forecasting a new record over 2018, uh, easily a new record. Um, so that's good news. On the pork side, you know, we're we're estimating a couple of percent growth. So about where we are now is what we're estimating. And we're also estimating that China continues to be down. And the other markets will continue to see strength. So uh, I think uh, overall uh, pretty good uh, indicators despite the headwinds. And one other headwind we haven't talked about is uh, the logistics, international supply chain logistics. We still have shortages of containers. We still have a lot of bookings, especially on for frozen beef and pork, that are being rolled from one week to another. So, so yeah, it, it, while the news is pretty good, uh, honestly, it could be better if we had some of these uh, other issues uh, behind us.
0: Yeah, real quick, we've talked for so long about building demand. That's obviously still important. Now we face the challenge of being able to uh, to move the product and get it there,
3: right?
2: Exactly right. And it's not only in the U.S. This, this international supply chain, you really have to think about it globally. And I was just reading uh, last night from our offices in China that uh, – a couple of the major ports in China are now getting backed up, and part of that's labor-related and also COVID uh, uh, outbreak-related, uh, where the the some of these major ports, like a, the size of Long Beach or bigger, are backed up. So it's really a global issue, not just a U.S. issue.
0: Dan, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot.
2: Thank you, Mike. My pleasure.
0: Take care. Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Well, there is a deal between the U.S. and the EU on dairy. We'll get the details on that next with Jaime Castaneda with the National Milk Producers Federation. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together join us around the table every tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more Recently on Adams on Agriculture,
4: Lance Zimmerman with Cattle Facts. There's good prices on the board right now for cattle producers if they're feeding corn. It could be a little bit of a tricky situation right now, but as you alluded to, there still is plenty of opportunity out there for profitability if you're smart about your marketing. The rule in cattle feeding, right, is usually by your profitability. Uh, both on the corn and the cattle side. And the last 18, 12 to 18 months have been tough on on a corn position for cattle feeders. Been great if you're the one grazing the corn, right? We're in a situation right now with corn basically sitting there in the, the lower end of the $5 range. For a lot of producers, that's probably an area some are taking some positions on, at least trying to establish a, a floor price, You know, making sure they at least have some corn secured right now. Um, And we'll see what happens as we near harvest time, see if we put in some harvest time lows. But hopefully the worst of the weather threats are behind us on the corn side.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. All right, so there's a deal between uh, the U.S. and the EU on dairy. We're going to get details now from Jaime Castaneda, Executive Vice President, Policy Development and Strategy for the National Milk Producers Federation. Jaime, always good to talk with you. Tell us about this deal. Is it a good one?
3: Uh, It is, and uh, good morning. Uh, I I just want to make sure that it is an important uh, agreement, but at the same time, it's a it's a very small agreement, and it has been an agreement uh, that it was prompt by again the European Union creating problems for uh, the little that we export into the European Union.
0: Yeah, let's for those not familiar, what what are the these issues with the EU and? And why was it threatening our ability to be able to sell into that market?
3: Good question. So um, all countries, uh, whenever they export, or all countries in one way or another, require what we call a a dairy health certificate. What a dairy health certificate uh, means is that a country wants to make sure that the product that you are uh, sending to them – for human consumption is actually fit for human consumption, that it is a food safety issue. Now the Europeans uh, uh, create additional uh, hustles and requirements than pretty much any other country in, in the world. Not only they have a requirement for a health certificate or let's say cheese or, or p- milk powders or whey, and so on, but they also require what is called a composite certificate. This composite certificate means that products that we actually are used as an ingredient, so dairy products that, for instance, we sell uh, Sara Lee cakes uh, into the european European Union, and Sara Lee uses theskimel powder from you know the upper midwest and uh, so, in order for Sara Lee to sell, uh, that product into the European Union, they have to actually accompany that product with this EU health, uh, health certificate, which is something that nobody else, uh, asked for in, in the world. So we sell very little, uh, to the European Union compared to what they sell here, but we have a lot of other products that uses dairy ingredients from the United States. And that was the biggest problem. That actually could go up to the billions of dollars. So that's uh, basically what happened here. So USDA, with the support of USDR and uh, the Food and Drug Administration, negotiated an understanding and a delay on the implementation of, of the new EU dairy health certificate. So is this a
0: long-term solution or just a short-term fix for right now? That's another good question.
3: And for now, I would say that it is a short-term solution. Even though uh, we will not have additional uh, distortions in the market, at least in the near term, the Europeans have postponed the implementation of this new EU health certificate until uh, next year, until January of next year. So uh, AMS and USDA uh, have uh, announced that they will be ready to implement this new EU certificate without creating any major uh, new hustle for the U.S. dairy uh, sector, uh, whether it's producers or manufacturers. So we're very happy and very grateful to AMS, USDA, and, of course, the rest of the agencies that help negotiate this, this agreement.
0: So good news for now, but we'll continue to watch this uh, issue. We're talking with Jaime Castaneda, executive vice president, policy development and strategy for the National Milk Producers Federation. Uh, Jaime, while we're while we have you, we want will also talk about some uh, moves made by USDA uh, concerning some uh, the uh, food donation programs. Uh, certainly, this will be uh, uh, dairy will be a big part of this, right?
3: Yes. Yeah. Uh, so so let me actually just finish uh, your previous question, and I think that the importance of uh, making sure that in the future we need to actually have, uh, uh, once for all, a negotiation with the Europeans mm-hmm. to stop uh, them harassing us. So uh, we allow a lot of dairy products from Europe uh, to come into this country while they continue to, to hustle us. Now, on your questions about, uh, I assume you're referring to the, today, the USDA announcement on uh, improvements to the dairy safety net. Did mm-hmm. I understand yes. correctly? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, we have been working with USDA. Many of this, uh, this announcement are um, items that were negotiated by or were implemented or enacted by Congress, like the dairy donation program and the very uh, margin coverage, the supplemental, as well as a couple of initiatives that uh, were requested by uh, National Milk. One is the uh, increase on, on, on the alfalfa coverage. Uh, this is something that under DMC, we have requested the department that it wasn't accurate to use a low-quality alfalfa for um, the feed uh, equation, the feed formula. So this is actually good news. And not only is it gonna be uh, retroactive, uh, so farmers uh, should be getting some additional uh, payments, but also it will give us uh, additional um, uh, budget for future farm bills. So, so this is something actually important that um, not only is uh, critical for small and medium farmers, but, but also in, in the idea that actually we're going to have uh, additional numbers to play with in the future uh, farm bill. And finally, the this pandemic market volatility basically is related to our class one mover This is, as you know, National Mill has requested the department to reimburse for losses that uh, the department basically created uh, during the previous administration by the way that they went about purchasing a a lot of uh, specific products uh, during the last year's pandemic. So uh, we calculated that uh, producers have actually lost uh, over $700 million dollars. Again, this is a, a, a good first step. Uh, however, we we and we put out a statement, I think that we just did, in which we expressed disappointment with the department on the way that they capped the, uh, the amount of uh, dollars uh, funding for dairy producers uh, losses. Uh, we, we truly believe that this is something that uh, all producers should be treated equally and, uh, and we're going to continue to work, uh, not only with the department, but with Congress to try to address this inequality.
0: You know, a lot of this, it's very detailed work and, and things that don't always make the, the, the headlines, but a lot of these things have great impact on the dairy industry and dairy producers and their bottom line.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. So and just little uh, just little a, things start adding, right? And and for right. us, that's that's the thing. But but I mean, I'll remind all your your uh, uh, listeners that National Mill represents uh, farmers of all sizes from all regions. Mm-hmm. And and for us, uh, making sure that actually farmers are treated equally, uh, it's it's very important.
0: Hi, May. Thanks a lot. Uh, always appreciate your time. Uh, you always uh, can break this down for us so very well. Appreciate it. Good to talk with you again.
3: Anytime, Mike. Take care. Take. Good Hi, May you Castaneda. Talk. You bet.
0: Executive Vice President, Policy Development and Strategy for the National Milk Producers Federation. So, uh, as he said, there's still a lot of work to be done between the U.S. and E.U. on on dairy. Uh, a lot more EU dairy coming into here than uh, we're sending over there, but still this uh, this agreement for now uh, keeps uh, that market open to us for moving uh, products into the European Union. So we'll continue to watch that as they continue to work and negotiate on that. All right, so we have crop tours going on, the harvest getting close, uh, China continuing to buy. A lot going on for the markets to take into uh, consideration and continuing to watch weather, of course, as we finish out uh, crops in a lot of parts, uh, several parts of the country. So a lot of different things we're going to talk about next with Todd Holtman. He is the lead analyst for DTN. Want to get his thoughts as we head into harvest about marketing strategy. What does he see prices doing during harvest? and uh, then beyond as we look already into next year as well so that's coming up next stay with us you're listening to AOA
5: DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, What is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com.
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers. That's our goal at AOA. Each weekday, you get an hour of the latest takes from people who know agriculture. The policymakers, and the people who have the inside scoop on what's happening behind closed doors. People who have their finger on the pulse of Washington and agriculture around the world. AOA is your daily source for all the information you need to stay in the know. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. AOA.
5: You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rawl. Wheat prices saw some light yesterday by a 180,000 ton sale of wheat to Egypt and a 290,000 ton sale of wheat to Algeria. Both were fall deliveries. Corn was able to take some gains away from that wheat rally yesterday despite the above-average pro-farmer corn yield estimates and disappointing weekly ethanol production, which set a 15-month low. On the Board of Trade this morning, we are seeing lower prices across the grain and oilseed seed sector. September Corn trading four and a fraction lower at 557 and a half cent. The December contract down seven cents at 558. For soybeans, the September contract down 20 and a half cent at 1338 and a fraction. The November contract down 21 at 1332 and a fraction. For wheat, Chicago wheat, September down four and three quarters at 732 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat September down seven and three quarters at 7.16. Minneapolis spring wheat September down four at 9.19. The December contract down two and a fraction at 9.08 and a fraction of a cent. Estimates for the cattle on feed report which is out on Friday are friendly. The on feed average estimate on August 1st is 98.3 percent. Placements are estimated at 93.2 percent with a range of 90.7 to 95.5. Marketings for July are estimated at with a range of 95.2% to 97%. On the Board of Trade this morning, lower livestock numbers. The October live cattle contract down 45 at 128.57. The December contract down 42 at 134.15. In feeder cattle, September down 55 at 162.80. The October contract down 52 at 165.30. In lean hogs, October down 92 at 88.17. The December contract down 67 at 8145. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. As
6: an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating, your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services
0: Administration. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture
1: news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now back to Mike Adams.
0: All right, let's talk markets with DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. Todd, it's um, crop tour season, so you got people out walking fields and making estimates. Have you seen or heard anything that uh, uh, really changed what we kind of felt going in? I mean, we kind of knew the good areas were good, the bad areas were bad. Uh, anything new coming out that that you see as a uh, market
7: moving? Uh, I- I would say no. Uh, For the most part, it seems like the tour is kind of reinforcing the the ideas that we've uh, already had. Of course, uh, some states, there's a little difference in the estimates, but uh, overall, I don't think there's much disagreement. We know where the stressed areas are, and we know where the very good areas are. Uh, There might be a little uh, disagreement over just how good the good areas are, but uh, overall... I think we're probably all still close to the very same page. We had a DTM digital tour uh, a week ago and we came up with a national yield of 176.5 and a half for corn and 51 and a half for beans. That was just a little higher than USDA, but also close to their numbers. And I think probably close to the numbers we're going to see this week from the crop tour.
0: I mean, ultimately we find out when the combines
7: roll, right? You, absolutely. And uh, there's, <laughs> there's, no substitute for that. It's, it's a good guessing game in the meantime, and it's a good exercise, uh, and it tests our judgment and what we think we know about weather and all the conditions. But you're right, uh, until we get into harvest, uh, that's the real deal.
0: There was interest in the August crop report, but we'll really be focused on this September crop report, won't we?
7: Yeah, because USDA is going to get in the field and uh, get those objective uh, yield uh, estimates, information out of the plots and uh, so that's always uh, a significant improvement in the estimates that we get Uh, and uh, but you know again I we're covering kind of the same ground over and over I'll I'll be surprised if we see any big surprise in that September report I think we're honing in fairly close
0: okay Todd the question I'm asking um, analysts this week so I'm going to ask you uh, farmers last year at this time you know going into harvest uh prices were up and many sold and all of a sudden prices kept going up and they regretted in some cases regretted selling too soon so this year do you think that that kind of influences them they say well we don't want to take that chance again uh, so we we might not sell as much because we want to see because we think it might go up again um Do you think that's going to be the case, or are you concerned that could be a mistake this year?
7: Um, First of all, great question, and I think question of the year probably, and my answer is going to be a little mixed. I think it's important for people not to get a sense of vertigo here and lose track of the bigger picture of just how good some of these prices are. You know, Last year, uh, when we were making sales too early, they were in the high threes, low fours, Uh, Now we still have cash corn prices up uh, above $6 a bushel across much of the Midwest. So uh, these are not prices that I would uh, take lightly as uh, thinking that anyone's taking advantage of us to sell $6 corn. I mean, that's just a very good price no matter how you look at it. Uh, Yes, we do still have a bullish outlook. Uh, It's very likely that corn supplies are going to stay historically tight in the new season ahead. I do, I do agree with producers uh, who think uh, largely, I think that uh, time is on their side about uh, waiting and letting commercials bid this market up, especially as we get into uh, toward the winter months. Um, I I think there is a place for that, but I also think there's a place for taking advantage of some of these prices now because they are historically so good. Um, And, and uh, you know, And the the one bearish headwind we have, and we're seeing that in the market today, is uh, the possibility of coronavirus upsetting demand again. We're seeing ports closed in China. Our shipping costs were already high. We've got congestion on the West Coast. Things are a bit of a mess. And so far, we're not seeing uh, an optimistic hope in slowing down this Delta variant. Uh, infection. So I I think we'll get through this mess, but uh, that is one possible threat that could really uh, hit our demand estimates this year. So it's not without risk moving forward is what I want people to understand.
0: Yeah, that is a huge issue, and we talked about it earlier with Dan Hallstrom with the U.S. Meat Export Federation from a meat export standpoint. Same with grain. I mean, uh, the demand is there, and we can we can uh, make sales, but you still got to move the product, right? And that is an increasingly big challenge uh, with the labor issues, health issues, all these concerns. Uh, the supply chain is
7: really uh, slowed down and backed up. Yes, and it's it's not an easy answer. It's a very difficult problem, obviously, with a lot of moving parts. I tend to be optimistic overall because we are talking about food supply and that is the high priority for every nation. And so um, um, COVID or no COVID, I think countries uh, will find it a very high priority to keep those ports open and functioning as much as possible and, and uh, keep that food traffic moving. But uh, it's, it, it, it is gonna be tough. I think we're in for some rough waters here this fall.
0: Document Todd Holtman, DTN lead analyst. So, Todd, the new the, the picture would seem to be if, if supplies are tight now, they're going to stay tight even at, even through yep. and after our harvest. But, but as we look to South America, now we know they're having weather issues and challenges too, but we expect that they're going to plant more acres, right? So does that start putting at some point, if they get any kind of decent weather at all, some pressure on the markets?
7: Yes, uh, and that's going to be a a thing to kind of watch in the background here for a little while. So uh, typically in September, we would start to see some planting activity down uh, in Brazil, but it's been very, very dry. They really have not had significant rain since they planted their second corn crop. So they've had a long, dry stretch. um, And uh, last year, uh, if you recall, they had kind of a late planting where I think a lot of it was pushed into October. uh, last year, we might see a similar uh, thing result this year, and I think the market will be very sensitive to that. But, yes, as you say, their their prices are very high. The incentive is there for them to expand, uh, as it has been for a long time. And uh, if they can do it, they certainly will.
0: Yeah, so we watch that. More acres could be bearish. Bad weather, though, could be bullish. So, again, we, we have to yeah. wait and see. Hey, what what do you make of China's purchases right now?
1: You know, uh,
7: so far uh, they seem uh, good but cautious. Uh, of course, we just had our 11th consecutive new crop soybean sale today, and not all 11 days uh, were China. Some of those were unknown, but we suspect that that's uh, off in China yeah. as well. Uh, so uh, they're they're moving along now. Our new crop uh, sales so far this year in total are up. For, we're 48 percent ahead of last year's pace on corn but we're down 30% uh, of last year's pace on soybeans. And I'm still a little surprised because I'm, I'm quite confident that China's need for soybeans is going to be just as strong as it was last year. And uh, so far, the way things are shaping up, it, it appears that uh, their need for corn is going to be just as strong or close to just as strong as what they needed last year. So uh, if, if we can get this shipping problem worked out, uh, the demand potential is still there, as far as I can tell.
0: And let me ask you: Let's let's get an early start on the guessing game for acres. Uh, we could see more wheat, more cotton, a lot, it's more sorghum. So then, how do you increase corn and bean acres? You know uh,
7: that uh, we've got a we've got a, a a trend working against us in that regard. It's uh, we had all the incentive in the world to plant fence row to fence row this year. And uh, to only come up with the acres that we did uh, was a bit of a disappointment. And as we look into things, uh, the corn and soybean acres just aren't there, is is the way I see it. Uh, We've lost a lot to urbanization. And uh, we've uh, lost a lot of hay and wheat quality acres. That that was also a big uh, kind of a drop off. And of course, the drought uh, is hurting that this year. But we don't really have a lot of room to expand the corn and soybean uh, type acres here. And uh, so here we are, uh, of course, we, we have a drought impact this year, but even if we had terrific weather and, and all that sort of thing, I'm not sure we would have had a big build in our surplus this year. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a real different ball game than uh, what we've been talking about previous to 2020.
0: Yeah, I think it's a it's going to be a fascinating story to watch. Maybe more wheat acres than, than you come back double-crop beans on those acres.
7: Uh, yes, that the incentive is there for that, absolutely. Uh, we've got the lowest world wheat supplies at the major exporters that we've seen since 2008. That's the first time I've uh, said that in many years, first time I've ever seen that since being at DTN in, in 2013. So that's a, a definite game changer for the world we've outlook
0: yeah it's a it's a different ball game moving forward that's for sure todd always good to talk with you thank you for the perspective yes thank you mike take care todd Holtman, dtn's lead analyst all right up next we're going to talk with the ceo of the american soybean association steve sinski get his thoughts on some of these issues right now concerning infrastructure How does the soybean industry look at the, the infrastructure package and the potential cost of it? Also, wanted to get his thoughts on what's happening with biofuels right now. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture
8: Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle.
6: I like that too.
8: Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
4: Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at dtnpf.com. Bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day to day business decisions. Their award winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like Would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNTF.com today.
0: Recently on Atoms on Agriculture, Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, before we get into what's in there for infrastructure, it's kind of set up to get the $1.2 trillion for roads and ports and waterways, bridges and broadband. To get that, they're going to have to pass another $3.5 trillion. As much as I understand the need for the physical infrastructure, if you add all that other on there, it seems like a
9: pretty high price to pay. The worry with the economy is that we're actually going to be overheating rather than underheating And a legitimate question to ask is, is this the time to keep adding
3: trillions of dollars of spending onto Americans? What normal people would do is they would say, great, we've got an area of consensus and agreement. Let's pass it. But now what Washington, D.C. does is they say... We've got an area of consensus, let's attach some controversial things onto it and make the passage of the consensus issue contingent upon the passage of a controversial portfolio.
0: For the information important to Rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
10: A gentle breeze blows across your face as you take a refreshing sip of water, appreciating the stillness of another morning fishing on the lake. The distant gurgle of a stream reminds you of days spent playing in the creek. The cool, clear water rushing between your toes. You love this time with nature. The feeling of putting everything on hold to connect with the world around you. Now, imagine it's all gone. No fish. No lake. No water. One of life's most vital resources, irreplaceably depleted. Time is running out to protect fresh water, and without our love, it can and will disappear. It's our choice. Love it or lose it. Help protect our fresh water. Visit World Wildlife Fund at WWF.org/love.
0: You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
1: information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA now back to Mike Adams
0: and we welcome back to the program Steve Sinski CEO of the American Soybean Association Steve good to talk with you again
9: good morning Mike great to be with you
0: I want to start on biofuels um We've got a situation where we're still waiting for RVO levels to be announced. Uh, We see the administration push for electric vehicles. uh, And at the same time as we see fuel prices up at the pump, they ask OPEC to pump more oil and and help us uh, with with the situation here. After all these years of working to lessen our dependence on foreign oil and biofuels being at the forefront to helping us do that and accomplish that, What are your thoughts as you see an administration now ask OPEC to produce more oil instead of getting more behind and fully supporting our biofuels industry in this country?
9: I think you've laid it out very well, Mike, and it's frustrating, and we're hoping that they will follow through uh, because, as you point out, uh, we have the ability here domestically to be adding to the fuel supply. Uh, we have the ability to c- produce more biodiesel, uh, renewable diesel, uh, certainly more ethanol, and it all creates demand. And, you know, it has the double benefit of not only adding to our fuel supply uh, and help bring down prices and, and this administration's concerned about some of the inflationary impacts uh, that are occurring right now, Uh, but it also addresses the other big goal that the administration has and that's to make, uh, some big changes and some, some early wins on addressing climate change because, you know, biodiesel, renewable diesel has, uh, reduces greenhouse gas emissions by about 70% compared to petroleum diesel. And so it's a great win, not only for the environment, but for American consumers and homegrown energy.
0: Yeah, they have an issue, a challenge at hand, and seemingly the answer right in front of them, but they keep looking in other places.
9: Yeah, and and that's it's very frustrating. And and uh, again, you know, we are continuing to message to say that here we do have this solution, and you know, we know that the emphasis of the administration uh, is on uh, electric cars and getting to electric eventually. But we're going to have liquid transportation fuels uh, around for a long time for this transition period. And even uh, certainly in the biodiesel market, we're going to be having uh, liquid fuels uh, uh, for the heavy trucks and and machinery for a long, long time. And so, again, we have a solution that's ready-made they just need to act to be much more aggressive, we believe, in, a, in increasing the renewable volume obligations uh, under the RFS for biodiesel and renewable diesel. Um, we think in the past that EPA has been quite timid. Um, we're afraid that they're being pressured by folks in the oil industry again to be timid once again.
0: Yeah, a lot of silence here on these issues uh, concerning biofuels, and it, it's it's concerning. We're talking with Steve Sinsky, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Okay, now on infrastructure. Uh, so the bill passes in the Senate. Now it goes to the House, where it gets tied up with this uh, uh, human infrastructure portion of things. Another three and a half trillion. Um, I don't. If you if you have to have all of it to get part of it is that is that too high a price to pay? I guess is what I'm asking Steve. Uh, agricultures wanted so long to get these infrastructure improvements. they're much needed. We acknowledge that. but if you if you have to have another three and a half trillion on top of this trillion, uh, wow that that gets pretty steep after a while and then you get into how you pay for that
9: yeah and and that's why i you know we're continuing to say we need to keep the focus on the bipartisan package that passed because that has the hard investments in infrastructure that are going to grow our economy over the long term and things you know roads ports bridges broadband uh, uh waterways infrastructure uh all of those things that we've been pushing for for a long time and we know that Speaker Pelosi has said that, you know, we're, we're going to marry these two together. You don't get one without the other. Um, but I think we have to keep on pushing from agriculture to say you need to pass the bipartisan package because, you know, it remains to be seen uh, whether the Senate will be able to pass uh, this, uh, you know, one, once they put it all together, uh, a uh, for their $3.5 trillion plan as called for in the budget resolution. Um, that remains to be seen. And so I still think while I'm sure the Speaker is is, is uh, sincere in saying that she wants to, you, you don't get one without the other, um, there's a lot to play out. And I think, Our job, uh, American agriculture's job, is to keep on putting pressure uh, on our elected representatives to say we need to pass the bipartisan one because it's the right thing to do. Um, Then let the chips fall, uh, see where the votes are on the three and a half trillion dollar package, but you can't hold one hostage for the other.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right and that that's what they're what they're doing and especially speaker Pelosi and it, it seems like uh, well some might say, well that's how politics goes uh, they know you want the the one trillion dollar package so if you're really going to to get that you have to go with the three and a half trillion uh, that might be the way it's done politically, but it doesn't seem to be the right way to do it
9: no no and uh you know i think there are legitimate concerns i mean not only is what's the the cost of uh the three and a half trillion dollar plan um what does that do to an economy that uh already we're seeing the inflationary pressures uh there may be some very good things in there that people like uh but uh... we need to to take a pause and i think think about that but the other big concern that we have is how is it going to be paid for and you know we're all aware that you know there's been proposals to uh... eliminate or have the effect of eliminating the stepped-up basis uh... and uh... taxing capital gains uh... at the time of death and the transfer of a property and that would just be devastating to american agriculture and uh... passing on uh... Uh, farms from one generation to another.
0: Yep, huge issue, that's for sure. Steve, good to talk with you again. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mike. Take care. Steve Sinski, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Coming up tomorrow with this surge in COVID cases again, how is our rural health care system handling it? We'll talk about that and more. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA.